God has a dream, and God's dream is to see people of all people groups, all nations, every tribe, tongue, gathered in a family. That's really his dream. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 where he talks to Abraham and says all the nations will be blessed through his descendants. In Isaiah 49 verse 6 part B it says, this is God speaking, I will also make you, speaking to the Jewish nation, his chosen people, make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Even people that the Jewish nation didn't like, the classic story of Jonah, where Jonah was a popular prophet among the Jews, and then he's called by God to go and preach to the Assyrians, to go preach to the city of Nineveh, and the Assyrians were terrible. They were violent. They were wicked. And here's Jonah. He doesn't want to go. He heads the opposite direction. And you know the whole story. If you have a church background at all, he's thrown into the water, the sea, and a a giant whale or fish swallows him for a couple days, spits him up. And he does eventually begrudgingly go and preach to the Ninevites. They respond. It's one of the most incredible uh, responses to preaching in human history, and God spares them. He offers them compassion and mercy. We see this, this dream of God bringing people into his fold, people who you might not expect to come, people in every corner of the world. We see Jesus actually getting angry in the New Testament where there's a section of the temple that's supposed to be where the Gentiles, those of us who are not Jewish, were allowed to come and to learn about the one true God. And instead of being a place of discipleship and teaching, the Jewish people had allowed it to become a marketplace where they took advantage of people. And that's why Jesus got so angry and cleared the temple. When Jesus leaves and the Holy Spirit comes, I mean, in his ministry, he reached out to like the Samaritan woman, to different individuals who were not Jewish, to people who represented other nations and other people groups. When he left and sent the Holy Spirit in Pentecost at Acts chapter 2, we see Jews from around the world every nation, and um, the tongues, the message of the gospel went out in all these different tongues. It was right at the beginning. You see, this church was to be international. This church was to have the faces of people from all around the world. And then we see the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 10 with a Gentile audience, Cornelius, and we see the same kind of thing. And so we just see this dream of God. It's realized in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 through 10. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne, um, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And the Lamb is Jesus. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so this is where history is headed. That people of all nations, of all people groups, are brought together into one family, the family of God. William Carey, the famous missionary, once said this. He said, to know the will of God, we need an open Bible and an open map. And so we are called to the nations. Um, Our passage, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, I'm not going to read it because I just read it. But when I look at this particular passage, I think the acrostic hope, H-O-P-E, is helpful. I'm really um, not going to unpack a lot of the points 
I'm mainly going to unpack the O, but let me just kind of walk through it quickly. We are called to share hope. The H is his help. If you look at Matthew 28, verse 18, notice he says, all authority and given to me. And so he's not asking us to do this on our own. We can't do it on our own. This is an impossible mission on our own. But with his authority, with the authority of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that he sends, we can walk this out. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, Jesus says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I love this promise because here you had these apostles that spent three, three and a half years with Jesus, learning uh, from him, following him, friends with him, walking beside him, and yet they weren't ready. Jesus says, you need the Holy Spirit. You need my spirit, uh, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit to come and to empower you and to allow you to complete and to walk out this mission. And so we're in a partnership. It's a co-mission with God. We walk beside God. We're not in this alone. And so you never know. We're just a little chain, one link in the chain. And God is working on people. He is helping people. He is opening doors for us. David Platt, an author I like to read, talked about one time he was standing in the lobby of his church and this Middle Eastern woman came up to him named Celine and she came over to him. She was very nervous and she said, I've never been in a church before but, um, and my family would not want me to be here but I had a dream last night where someone in the dream told me to come to this church and to listen. And you see the Holy Spirit's opening a door. And she did make a decision to follow Christ. God is in charge. He is sovereign. I regularly ask God, give me divine appointments. You know, a lot of you have volunteered for us at the journey booth, at the fair and Midnight Sun Festival and different things that we do. We try to be out there in the community. And I will just say, Lord, I'm here. What's, what's the divine appointment? Who do you want me to talk to? And so I would just encourage you to work that in, make that one of your prayers. Lord, who should I talk to today at work? In my life, who should I have these conversations with? And I love how it's a partnership. So Saul, who was an enemy of the church, became Paul, the great apostle, who was one of our greatest missionaries ever, wrote much of the New Testament. Saul had this miraculous encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. So here God intervenes very directly. But then Saul, who is becoming Paul, this new person, God sends Ananias, this individual, this believer, to come and talk to him, to minister to him, to pray for him, to heal his his eyes. And so we see this partnership between God and us, his people. So the H in hope is for his help. That we're not doing this alone. The O is where I want to drill down a little bit more. And that is for an outward challenge. And the outward challenge that we have been given by our Lord and Savior is to make disciples. It is not just to enjoy salvation. It is not just to enjoy the family of God that we have been given. But to make disciples. To think outwardly. To look outwardly. Now in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 part B we are told that he has set eternity in the human heart. Every person has a hole that needs to be filled with a relationship with God. 
We were created, Adam and Eve and, and mankind, this, this incredible peace, this paradise, this shalom. But because of our sin, shalom or peace was shattered. And we all need Jesus Christ. We all need this relationship. And making disciples, um, it, you know, it begins with evangelism. It's more than just evangelism. But it is, it is this outward challenge that we all have to think about. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus says to his earliest followers, Come follow me, he said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And so he invites us to fish for people. He invites us to go to the places where lost people are. You know, as a church, over our 19 years, we have had events in bars. I mean, a couple times in January, I've gone and done uh, stand-up comedy in, in bars here in this town. And I get up and I tell, you know, Bible stories and talk about the church. And, you know, they mercifully laugh. But it's uncomfortable for me. But I'm among non-Christians. It's important. And so you have to think about who, how can you have an outward focus in your life? I was reading the other day that 95%, this is uh, Greg Laurie in his book, Tell Someone, 95% of American Christians have never led anyone to Christ. If our primary mission is to make disciples, and the first part of that is conversion, helping a person come to know Christ, we are not doing very well at this. We need to grow in this. Don't waste your life on things that are not the mission. In my reading, it takes about 85 American Christians a year to see one person accept Christ. 85. We can do better than that. We need to have a passion for those who are lost. In history, I love uh, the story of Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman was born in slavery in this country. She was in a plantation in Maryland up until 1849. She escaped. She got to Philadelphia, so she had her freedom, but she couldn't just live in that freedom. She couldn't just experience that peace and that joy of that when she knew so many people who were still in bondage, still in slavery. And so the first thing she did was she went back to free her sister and her sister's family. Then she returned to free three of her brothers then she went back to free her parents. These are dangerous missions where she could have lost her life. She ended up returning 19 times to the south, to different places, um, these, these places, these bastions of slavery, and bringing about 200 people out to freedom. We cannot enjoy our freedom and our salvation and not think about those around us and in places around the world that do not have it, have not experienced it. There's really only one command in this particular passage, Matthew 28, 19, the first part, go and make disciples. That's what we're called to do. A disciple is a learner or an apprentice. It is a follower of Jesus Christ. We are to help people become apprentices of Jesus. We are to plant seeds of eternity in their lives. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, it says this, Those who are wise will shine like the, darkness, like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. We have God's light. We are His light. And we're to share the light of that truth in dark places. 
Minister John Weiss talks about he was looking at a little lightning bug. And he said, you know, um, we don't have to be the biggest light. We don't have to be the brightest light. We just have to be the closest light. You know, you can just be a little light. But if you're the closest light, if it's your sibling, if it's your friend, if it's your coworker, you have the opportunity to be light in that dark place to help them. There's so many people in this church. I think of David Durham who goes and preaches most weeks at the rescue mission. That's a dark place. Think of David Wilcoxon and, and uh, uh, Chris Goff and Sandy and Matt has joined them. Others that um, for many years we have had a team that goes into the North Star Halfway House and shares scripture, shares the truth, shares the gospel, has, puts on a worship service. Think of Rocky McDonald who weekly goes into the jails and shares God's truth in a very dark place. We have Christian teachers who go into public schools uh, five days a week. And they have to be careful, but they get to be salt and light. And we will all make disciples in different ways. We'll all kind of plant seeds and point people to Jesus in slightly different ways. I remember decades ago, I read a book and took a class and it was called Becoming a Contagious Christian. And it helped me. Because up until that point, I kind of had this view, um, I'm a pretty strong introvert, even though I'm in a people job, and I had this view that, that evangelists, those that really won people to Christ, they had to be the kind of person that would go just march through a neighborhood, knock on the doors, and have these very direct, almost harsh conversation with lost people at their door. And I thought, I'm not doing it. Not going to happen. Not going to work. But as I took this class, I began to understand that people do evangelism differently, that we're wired in different ways. One style is that very direct style, maybe um, knocking on the doors. That's, that's the Apostle Peter. That is in Acts chapter 2, standing up at Pentecost, and he's very direct. Hey, Jewish nation, you killed your Messiah, the one you've been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years. You killed him. Let me tell you what you need to do. That's that direct style. The Apostle Paul, I, I like his style better. He's, he's kind of an intellectual style. He looks for the objections. He thinks about it. He, he goes into a, a culture, you know, a Greek culture, and they don't acknowledge the scripture. And so he starts with creation, and he um, has read some of their poets, and he pulls a quote in. And he kind of is just a different approach. But that's how he points people to Jesus. And people came to Christ through that. I think one of the ones that we can all do is the testimonial style. We see this with a blind man in John chapter 9. Here he is, he, um, you know, he was blind and Jesus healed him. Those who were enemies of Jesus uh, came to this blind man, they're trying to intimidate him, and he's like, look, I, you know, I was blind and now I see. He just gave his testimony. He just shared what God had done in his life. All of us can do that. All of us can think about what difference has it made in my life that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I am not saying back up the whole truck if somebody opens the door and here's my life story. I wouldn't do that. I would give a little story where God has shared some wisdom with you, where God has um, answered a prayer, where God has provided some healing or wholeness in your life and be prepared with some of those testimonies and share those. One of the things I've appreciated in recent years, because they've gotten better at it, is sometimes they take Christians' 
the testimonies of Christians and turn them into movies. Lee Strobel, an atheist who was irritated with his wife coming to Christ, and so he spent two years investigating the evidence for who Jesus was, and he decided, hey, I think he walked out of his own grave. I'm going to follow him. This makes sense. And so this atheistic reporter for the Chicago Tribune gives his life to Christ. He ends up being a pastor and a Christian leader, and they turn that into a movie. Um, And so that was great. Maybe you saw Greg Laurie's movie, it was Jesus Revolution, and that was interesting. He was a hippie, and he was into that whole lifestyle, and Christ made a difference in his life. You can watch that. That's a testimony. Right now, there's one, I haven't seen it yet, so I don't know whether to tell you if it's great or not, but Duck Dynasty, you're probably familiar with them. The father in that, Phil, uh, pretty rough story, very difficult, painful uh, marriage, and he was a, he was a mess. And right now they've turned his testimony with his wife into a movie. And I think it's at Regal right now. Um, And so there's this testimonial style. And I think we can all do that. There's the interpersonal style where you just try to get people together. Here, let me get my Christian friends with some of my non-Christian friends. We see this in the gospel where Levi, who was a tax collector, gathers all his tax collectors, has them over for dinner, all his friends, and then he invites Jesus and the apostles and just see what happens. Maybe you're a mom with small children, so you have play dates. Well, let me get you know, a lady or two from church, and here's some of my non-Christian friends, and let's just put them together and see what happens. You never know. Maybe nothing, but maybe little seeds get planted. There's the invitational style. I think of the Samaritan woman. Jesus goes and he shares who he is, that he's the Messiah, with this Samaritan woman, this woman who's an outcast in her town. And she's so blown away by it, she runs back to town, and she brings most, if not all, of the town back uh, to who Jesus is and to hear who he is and to have him preach to them. Now, what amuses me is that the professional Christians, the apostles, they'd just been in the same town to get food. They didn't bring anybody back to Jesus. But the beginner, she just ran back and she said, hey, he told me everything about my life. Come here about this guy. She invites and they come. We can be invitational. You might invite someone to watch a Christian movie with you. You might invite someone to church. Look for them if you do. Sit with them. The invitational style is one of the things. Tom Rayner in his book, The Unchurched Next Door, says eight out of ten unchurched people in surveys say if invited to church, they would come. So not everybody, but the percentages are pretty high. There's the serving style, Dorcas in Acts chapter 9. This is a person who serves, who comes alongside and helps the poor and does all of that. How can we serve people in our community? It could be very simple but it's a way to bless others. I think of Jeff Porter in our church who put together free babysitting for the military appreciation banquet that the Chamber of Commerce puts on. And so we had bouncers in here and we had people volunteering and taking care of these um, military people in our community who were honored, but they got to drop their kids off here and their kids were taken care of. Little seeds planted, little simple acts of kindness. Mother Teresa expressed it well. She said, we can do no great things, only small things with great love. One of the values of this church is to not just be a church, but to serve our city. Serving builds a bridge. And so don't just come to church, be the church. 
Go and walk it out. Go and serve and love other people. Who are five lost people you can start praying for every day right now? That's an incredible way to serve them. Start looking for opportunities to serve them. There is great urgency in this. A story I've shared before, but it it, uh, really prompted me to have a stronger sense of urgency. I was probably 16 years of age. I worked for a limousine company. Uh, Me and these other teenagers, we would wash limousines and clean out the insides, which could be a gross job at times. And I had this friend, Rob, and he asked me one day, he said, Derek, he goes, why do you go to church? And I don't think my answer was terrible, but I basically said, I kind of pitched, it's really fun, you ought to come to youth group, here's something coming up, and so I kind of pitched all of that, and that was my approach. But a couple days later, he got drunk at a party, he was driving, he wrecked his car and lost his life. And that has always pained me. It wasn't that my answer was horrible, it's my answer had no urgency. I had no sense that this could be his opportunity. I thought I had years with him. Be bold with those around you. If God opens a door, be bold. There is a real urgency around the world. 3.2 billion men, women, and children have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ, according to David Platt in his book, Don't Hold Back. That's not 3.2 thousand or million, that's billion. And because of population growth, that number is getting bigger. According to the researchers at the Joshua Project, India has more unreached people groups than any other country. About 2,356 unreached people groups in that nation alone. If you look in your bulletin, this book that we call a bulletin today, many of you have like a little laminated reminder about India and a mission that we support. You can look at their website. You could begin to pray for them. You could start to give to them. It's an incredible mission. Some of you have a little reminder about a missionary, a mission organization we support in Nepal. Uh, Both have lots of unreached people groups. Both have lots of lost people. And so I encourage you to begin to pray for those who are unreached, who don't just have a church down the street, who don't have uh, K-Love on the radio. There's so many unique developments that we live in this particular age. I appreciated having Guy talk about um, how he's doing international ministry from his computer. You could start writing a blog that shares the gospel and you never know who might be reading it at three in the morning in another country. The technology today is incredible. The Apostle Paul would spend weeks on a boat in order to get to another city. We can hop on a plane and be there very quickly. He would write letters that took a month maybe to get there. We can write a blog or an email or a text that gets there immediately. Let's take advantage of the opportunities, the unique opportunities that we have. In many ways, the world has come to us. There are many people who have immigrated here from closed countries. There are many international students up at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. 
We had a young lady who was working on her um, young adult ministry, and she was using our, she was having our, uh, having the young adults play volleyball on our beach volleyball uh, set up in the back there behind the pond. And she said, Derek, I planned this little 10 minute devotion. And she said, it took over an hour. I said, well, why did it take over an hour? And she said, well, the, the Muslim kids that came to play volleyball, as I'm talking about Jesus and the Chinese kids uh, from this communist country, they kept asking all these questions. So it took over an hour. All these opportunities, all these people that are right here. Evan is our church planting resident here, and we've, uh, for the last year that he's with us, we've hired him for 15 hours a week to work on um, planting something at UAF, working with young adults, and I hope part of that is reaching out to the international student community. Wouldn't it be beautiful to see someone come to Christ here and go back to a closed country and share the gospel there? with family and friends. And so we're to have this, you know, the O in hope is this outward focus. And that's the one I drilled down on, so don't get worried because I've got two more points. I'll make them quick. The P is process. We are to share about Jesus. Uh, we are to share the gospel. The gospel, Paul lays it out, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5. Here's the gospel. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. So here it is. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. The gospel is Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. And through him, we can have life. Now, we are called to make disciples, and that's not just evangelism. That's not just conversion. That's the beginning. It's to help someone become mature in the faith, to see them take Jesus as Lord over every aspect of their life. What should we see happen as they move and become disciples, fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ? Well, you see John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Obviously, right at the beginning, we see Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. In Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter, when the Jewish people, he confronts them about killing their own Messiah, and they're like, what do we do? He says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We are to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Discipleship is a process. It is putting your trust in Christ and becoming fully devoted to his lordship. All that's mentioned here in the Great Commission is baptizing them, Acts 28, 19. And then um, if you jump down to the end, is and then teaching everything to obey everything that I've commanded. We're to walk beside people. We're to invest in people. We're to disciple people. One of the things we do in this church is I offer an individual spiritual plan if that's something you want to try. We take about an hour and I ask you a ton of questions, try to figure out where you are spiritually, and then we meet a couple days later and I give you eight to ten suggestions over the coming year. Here's some things that I think will help you grow in your faith. 
And you watch people grow. You watch people move forward. We offer lots of small groups. They're all over our bulletin today. Lots of opportunities to study the word, get to know other believers here, and to move forward in your faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Peter says, or Paul says this, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. The process is we come alongside people and we do our little part, whatever that part is. And God is directing it. One practical step is this week, this Saturday, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. here at the church, we'll even give you a light lunch, is Guy Zodi. Guy, can you raise your hand right here? If you want to talk to him, he's going to offer some evangelism training. Like, how can I get more comfortable actually sharing about Jesus with those who are my family members or my neighbors or my coworkers or my friends? And so I encourage you to check that out. Another practical step is praying over those unreached people groups, praying over those missions that we support, and you should have one of those in your bulletin. We have a mission board out here in the coffee area on the wall. You could go and read over those, look them up on their websites, and pray over those different organizations. What are you doing? How are we sowing into the next generation? I appreciate what Marcy and her team are doing. They really, the in a in a real way, the teens own the youth group. It's not just, you know, information dump into the teens. They really own it. They, they really dialogue about it. They make a lot of the decisions. I appreciate the ministry of Camp Lywa, something that uh, Dave and Chris Goff put years of their time in, raised support to be out there. Camp Lywa, my, my 15-year-old is benefiting right now from their SALT program where they invest in these young kids and they teach them to kind of turn around and invest in the kids that are younger than them. So that's the, the P is process and hope. The E is for encouraging promise. And I've run out of time to talk about it, but it's just Matthew 28, 20, part B. And I'm surely and with you always to the very end of the age. So it's almost like an encouragement sandwich when you look at this passage. Jesus says, look, my authority, you can do this. And at the end, he says, I'm always going to be with you. I'm always going to be with you. And so there's this encouraging promise. You know, we are to share hope anywhere we possibly can. Point people to Christ anywhere we possibly can. Years ago, um, I was exhausted. It was in the early days of journey. And there was a conference up at Door of Hope Church. Now it's called Lighthouse Church. And I went to this conference just hoping for a little encouragement. I was exhausted. I was working nights. And I go, I sit next to this lady. And I introduced myself. And I said, well, I'm Derek. I'm pastor of this new church, Journey Church. And she looks at me and she says, I love Journey Church. And I thought to myself, my heart sank like, oh, no, she's come here, and I've never, I have no idea, no register at all, don't remember her, and I said, so have you been to Journey Church? She goes, oh no, I've never been to Journey Church, but then she rattled off five or six things in the community that she had seen us at, I think it was a suicide walk, and the fair, and midnight sun, and golden days, just different things that we had had a presence in the community. And she said this. She looked me in the eye and she said, I love Journey Church because you take Jesus everywhere. 
And I'm like, you just made my year. That's what we're called to do. Take Jesus everywhere. To be a Christian is to be a missionary. But I remind you that it's only good news if it gets there in time. And if someone does not put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will spend an eternity separated from the love and the joy of the new heavens and the new earth and the very presence of God. The scripture calls that place hell. It's only good news if it gets there in time. Who in your life can you help become a fully devoted disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? So the big idea is this. Live sent. Make disciples of all nations. And the final story is this. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah the prophet comes to God. He's kind of, in a sense, wiped out by his holiness He's horrified by his own sinfulness and God offers him grace and compassion. And then God says something interesting. God says, well, who will go for us? And Isaiah raises his hand and says, here I am, send me. May that be our answer today. May that be our desire. May that be our heart. Here I am, send me. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for each person here. Lord, every one of us has somebody in our life. Maybe it's our grown child. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a coworker who is not a follower of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be about your mission to make disciples. May your mission be our mission. May we walk in the power of your spirit and see hope spread and shared everywhere. This is our prayer in the name above all names, Jesus Christ. Amen.